back to Out of Spite, the show where LGBT issues are anything but out of mind. This is the last episode of our season, uh, and I'm one of your broadcasters, Jade. Pronouns are she, her. Hello, my name is Jane. My pronouns are she and her. Hello, it's Dan. My pronouns are he and they. Hey, everyone. Um, my name is Rain. My pronouns are he him. And hello, my name is Luna. My pronouns are they them. Um, so, if you were if you looking if you were looking at our Instagram, you might have known that we were gonna have a special guest today. Uh, it's not necessarily the case. Life happens. Uh, but in general, today we're going to be talking about uh, queer coding. And jeez, uh, Jade, do you want to start the conversation on that? That's fair. Um, I, I like to, to guide us into a more uh, general feeling of this. So, um, you know, over the years in media, uh, I think it's it's pretty clear that um, uh, like like there's been a like a change in queer representation in media. Uh, so I'd like to know, like, what are all of your thoughts on that? Like, in in, in my opinion, uh, it's getting a little more positive. Like, we're, we're gaining more representation mm-hmm. versus the uh, the smaller negative amounts that we used to have. I agree. Oh, yeah, I, I know. agree. So, Can uh, I be honest? Mm-hmm. I also feel like sometimes they just throw somebody gay into something just so it could just be a gay person just- in there. Mm-hmm. That's like, definitely I'm not, true. You know, like maybe just to like just to get the money for from people, or like just for that one gay that gay the character just to that their whole storyline is just being gay. Like I've noticed that yeah, there has been more representation besides like stories like like Pose and stuff like that where the whole cast is like gay. But like even in cartoons, like I just feel like they throw that one character in there or like two characters in there just for the. I don't know, increases for the brownie points. Yeah, yeah. for the brownie, yeah. exactly for the brownie points. I I think you can. Uh, I feel like you see that with like smaller things, but also like I feel like Disney does that a lot. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Like right. they're just like, oh my god, look, it's the first time we've ever had a queer character, and it's like, this is like the fifth time it's been the first time, dude. Like you can't just keep <laughs> saying that over and over. Right. And like gay dads and stuff, and it's like. <laughs> All right, we get it, girl. And they've always been like secondary or just background characters, and it's like, dude, come on, uh-huh. you gotta do better. <laughs> like that's the saying it, chief. <laughs> right. I'm glad that y'all y'all see what I'm saying. Like sometimes it feels yeah. like you just throw it in there just to throw it in there, like for no reason. Right. Right. No, um, I definitely agree. I, I, but yeah, it's. I think like just with like, there being more representation in general it's like mm-hmm. it feels like the amount of good and bad representation are both going up so it's just mm-hmm. kind of getting yeah. a little bit wild <laughs> at least that's how it feels to me with everything right i guess that goes in with everything but i'm glad that there is more representation like there's more characters that you can like zone in on and be like whoa like i low-key see myself like i remember growing yeah. up like it was mostly like japanese you know cartoons and comics that i seen people like me kind of like just the storyline was like di- like like navigated it or narrated by somebody like me, but like now it seems like there's more like American inclu- Western inclusivity. Inclusivity, that's the word. Yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, I definitely agree. Um, so, um, oh, I don't know. You can go ahead. 
No, no, Jade. No, I mean, I'm sorry, Dan. You could go. I was just, I was just gonna go to the, the second point. You can definitely go. I'm sorry. Um, no, I was just thinking of like, um, yes, representation in general. Um, all of you, like, it definitely has improved. There are some things that I would like for it to improve faster and better. <laughs> Too much to ask, right? No, but what would you want? No, to see absolutely better? not. Yeah, we deserve I mean, better. Actually, actually, yeah, we take a point on this. To be yeah, honest, go ahead. I, feel, I feel like yeah, of course we're gonna want it, and we need it to be faster and etc. But to be honest, especially in the climate that we're in, and you know, especially in Western or American culture right now and society and stuff, I don't mm. feel like it's gonna go as fast, especially due to the fact of you know, I don't want to get too political, but. Mm you know, due to the state of politics in our, you know, nation and stuff, I don't feel like it's going to go that quickly because, of course, at the at the end of the day, these networks, these shows has to make their money some way, somehow. And, um, you know, there's going to be an audience and stuff that they're not going to be able to cater to. And even though there's certain, you know, shows and stuff like that that tries to cater to every audience and stuff, they're not going going to be able to. Like, for example, there's some shows that, you know, for the long running, they have this sort of like, quote unquote, queer baiting, when at the end, you find out that the character is actually gay or actually queer or something, which is cool, but they usually do it at the end, because one, they don't want to use viewership, they don't want to lose the show, and also they want to actually be able to gain profit off of the show as well. So, for example, like Adventure Time and stuff, we didn't know that Marceline and Princess, I mean, we kind of knew, but like, you know, they didn't make it official canon that Princess Bubblegum mm-hmm. and Marceline were actually together in relationships uh-huh. till the actual end of the show because at the end they don't have anything to lose versus in the you know while the show's running and stuff like that they do have the ability to lose viewership or lose profit and stuff like that or like con- there could be controversy towards the show like even in toy story there was a lesbian couple and for like one split second in toy story right the most recent one and right like an easter were- egg yeah, and people were complaining about it. People were like, oh, I don't want to see this on my thing or yada yada. Like and two so, seconds. Yeah, exactly. Like, what the hell? And then also with, for example, with Arthur, when we found out that Mr. Ratbor- Mr. Ratburn was gay and he ended up having, um, you know, a gay uh, wedding. There was a lot of other states. Oh, and yeah, stuff. I remember like, that. Very, very against it. Very, very much so, like, trying to even uh, petition to get the show taken down and stuff. So it's like, they're, at the same time, like, we got to think about the risks that, you know, they're trying to, of course, but the risks of, like, them, of these uh, companies and networks, like, losing their show and stuff like that because of these groups of people, you know? Yeah. Well, that goes into the next point, right? Like, the idea mm-hmm. of queer baiting and, like, how it wait, kind wait, of, wait, like... Wait, 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 got, we got another point. Wait, we're not ready to move on just yet. Ah, <laughs> uh, thanks. Go ahead. I, 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 I <laughs> Thank you, moderator. Um, no, so no um, I just had a, a quick thing to add. Um, speaking of the Adventure Time example, real quick, um, it's not. I want to point out that's not necessarily the fault of the creators. Always, um, it's it's possible, and it's very often that it's actually the like the the network that has the show is the one pushing that kind of representation out of the way. In the case of Adventure Time, the only reason it took so long to like confirm that relationship, so Marceline and Princess Bubblegum, is because Cartoon Network was adamantly against the idea. They did not want it because they were concerned for their mm-hmm. shareholders. They they were worried about money and they were worried about losing the um, the the like you know straight 
watcher base audience yeah. yeah yeah i mean that's what i was like i wasn't saying mostly like creators and stuff because at the at the end of the day the creators are getting paid by cartoon network and stuff so of course they don't want to lose that but i mean they can always go to a different network and stuff and you know etc but due to the fact that it's not that it's, not, it's definitely not that <laughs> yeah it's easy. not and that's what i'm saying yeah that's what I'm, i know that's what i'm saying it's not that easy to do so so obviously they're gonna have to follow the guidelines or whatever that right. cartoon network doesn't want to really push that towards it because they'll obviously lose profit you know it's hard that's what i'm saying yeah yeah, 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 definitely. Right. Uh, well, so sorry Jane, for, for the, the rude interruction, Jane. Yeah. Can I go into the next point? Yeah. Yes, please. Thank you so much. So, um, with that idea, like you kind of talked about it, Rain, about like queer baiting, and it's it's kind of like hints to, I guess, audiences. So, like, do you guys? How do you feel about this trend and like how it's combating in the future? Oh boy, do I have a story for y'all. Let's hear it. <laughs> Go for it. Oh, okay. I, I, I remember DreamWorks was um, one of the newest seasons of Voltron. And they're like, oh, we're, you're gonna meet Adam who is Chiro's boyfriend. And they were together, like all this like, sort of stuff. They were promoting it. They're like, stop. Say like, yes, Adam and Shiro, they were together. They were boyfriends. They were <laughs> and spoilers, I guess, kind of, if anyone really cares. Um, we go to the season and Adam is just in one episode about like the mission that like, part of this before the whole show and then if you don't i believe it's like if you don't mention then like oh my i'll stop being your partner and it wasn't it wasn't very like specific specific oh no dan you're cutting out oh no and we have plus one person no. oh we do oh no uh yep. <laughs> oh my god our special guest is here yeah, I'm so sorry about that. Oh! Hey there. I thought it was Tuesday. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Hey yeah, there. Was Welcome. Welcome to uh, Welcome. Show. Welcome. So what's the deal? What's going on? What are you going to ask me? <laughs> we have so many questions. We're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're rolling it back. Let's, uh, <laughs> well, first, well, would you like to introduce yourself? Did you guys cur- curse me out before? We are, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're also live. <laughs> Oh, you're like, oh! Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought today was, was, was Tuesday all day. Nah, welcome to Wednesday. Um, <laughs> so here's our special guest, everyone. Would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, my name's Ivan Velez. And that my, my partner in the background is... is, is okay, all right, I don't want you to see too much of him. Oh, don't worry, though. There's no, there's no video of this. No one's seeing your face. Just your lovely okay. voice mm-hmm. and and uh, an image. Oh, really? But yes, we uh, you can take a look at it. Oh, I see that. Yeah, I see that. I see that. Very nice. Oh, cool. All right. So, um, what do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? What do you do? What's up? Yeah, why, well, are you why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> what, what did you ask me? <laughs> um, let me see. I'm a, I'm a cartoonist. I used to be. Uh, wow. Uh, my career is I used to do Tale of the Closet uh, about 30 years ago through HMI. I was one of the Hedrick Martin Institute's uh, 
first group of kids. Uh, we had the first discussion groups over there on uh, 23rd Street. Uh, oh, wow. Back in ugh, back a long time ago, I think I was uh, I was going to college then, so I was like one of the older teenagers. I think I may have been like around nineteen, maybe eighteen, nineteen. Um, I think I was eighteen, and then I I, I turned nineteen. Once I turned to twenty, they kind of age you out. Um, mm-hmm. I I started doing work with them, uh, like doing little flyers and posters. They were they were kind of like a real grassroots organization back then, so they were still trying to get funding and trying to figure out what exactly they wanted to do. Back then, their aim was mostly for advocacy and counseling. Um, so, and it was the time when we had like the Human Rights Commission uh, begin. That was like the first years of that. And they actually started, they were instrumental in passing some laws that were always, they it was turned down for many, many years. Um, but they finally got it passed that the whole Human Rights Commission and kind of like uh, protecting uh, gay folks as well. Uh, we were part of the multicultural initiative that you went to all the high schools and to the schools. Um, again, that got turned down a lot because a lot of a lot of people, uh, especially uh, like fundamentalists, were kind of like blocking it, um, particularly because they added gays and lesbians as the protected and uh, taught about uh, culture. Well, so I did have to, uh, I did tell the closet there, which was like this uh, comic book aimed for uh, teenagers. Um, the idea I had with first, since I had a comic strip in college and I always liked comics and I always wanted to be a cartoonist, um, we wanted to do a, uh, what do you call it? I wanted to do something like an Archie kind of thing, something kind of light and like just talking about issues. But then, uh, I think we all realized that, um, like for instance, they gave me the stats, um, the percentages, the, the, the high rate of suicide among gay, lesbian, and, um, differently identified, uh, teenagers and, um. I think we didn't even have the term transgender back then. Um, everything was kind of like still like it's an infancy uh, back then. So I realized that it couldn't be as lighthearted as that, that there was no education at all, no role modeling at all whatsoever. That all the movies um, up until then, the characters who were either gay or lesbian were, were evil or committed suicide were the butt of like many jokes. Um, mm. Never heroes, never people who are so sympathetic, um, and nothing else happened in the comic books too. I remember the only gay thing I saw in the comic book was like, uh, I think Spider Man, no, the Hulk, the Hulk, uh, David Banner was going to be gang raped in the prison. That was it. That was about it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was the kind of stuff that was going on like then. So when I did that, um, I started working for it tomorrow and doing like the materials. So we did like flyers and posters. Um, so I did most of the, the, their posters and educational materials back then. I was the educational materials coordinator um, for a long time, for about six years. When they moved to West Street, uh, they had a branch of – actually, the, the office of Hector Martin moved to uh, West 12th Street, uh, right across the street from the pier. And back then, the aim was to kind of reach as many kids as possible. Um, since the train was right there and, and everybody kind of, um, drifted towards the peers back then, uh, it was a great, it was a great place to like meet, meet teenagers and try to like give them uh, condoms and particularly in the AIDS crisis was like really bubbling up to a boil back then. Um, so we gave a lot of, uh, condoms, uh, dental dams, a lot of education about that. We started doing counseling. They started the first Harvey Milk School as a one room classroom kind of as a program to help kids uh, f- uh, finish their studies who were who were kind of treated badly in school, couldn't finish uh, in the regular high schools because of um, 
harassment or, or being treated badly. Uh, and that was a small group of kids. And then um, back then, a lot of the kids who kind of worked with them became volunteers as well later on. Um, like me, like I, I came out of there as one of the clients and I, I became uh, on staff. So that was kind of the thing right there. There's a lot of really young energy in there, but there's also uh, Damian Martin was like there all the time and he was kind of like a mentor and role model. We had meetings with him every day and you could just walk in and talk to him whenever you wanted to. And that was, I was very lucky to be in that kind of uh, kind of educational kind of experience because before then, you know, it was, it was basically, I was just a suicidal kid. Mm. Before I met them, it was just like, it was, it made me realize I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a mistake. Uh, I was just, it's just like the color of my hair, basically, uh, my gayness, you know, mm. and it's just how the, the world happened. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of like, that was, that was the way it was back then. Um, so they kind of started using me as a poster boy. <laughs> oh, wow. I know what that's like. I know. So- <laughs> Damien, Damien had this idea. He did not want any kids' faces shown at all. Mm. That was a, he was that was anathema to it because he was, he was raised. You know, when, when Damien was a kid, he was he was raised in the foster system. He was raised in a, in a family home. So it was all this kind of stuff that he kind of lived through, and he didn't want any kids to kind of be like go through the shaming and being treated badly just because they were on TV or something like that. So oh, they started doing like you know there was the more the age started pressing on and became part of the the culture. Um, you know, the more news sta- new stations started doing stories on us. Uh, Bill Morris, Morris did some documentaries on us. And, you know, they would stick me in there. <laughs> so I have a question. Yes, yes. I have a question. So I know that you said that you also worked in, like, the comic arena writing for right. Like, right. major right. comic companies like Marvel and DC. And I was just wondering, like, how did it? How did you use that transition from working at the Hetrick Martin Institute to getting into these? Um, well, you see, for writing for comments. Well, it was like it was peculiar to that time period because uh, as as I started doing the comic books, and they started getting really good play, and the Village Voice started doing stories about them, and and you know, they became very popular, and high schools were getting them, and they were going to country, they were going to other countries, and high school. I mean, the first. The first issue with Taylor Closet, I think we, we after everything was said and done, we, we got about 100,000 copies out there. And oh. Not, you know, and not, and although a lot of them was free, a lot of them, a lot of them came with donations and, you know, um, people purchased them for a dollar each. They went to the bookstore. So it was like, it, it had some play and, and people kind of noticing it. Um, and we get letters all the time, right? A lot of letters and particularly from straight kids who, who this is kind of aimed towards because you put a story that everyone's so sympathetic that anyone could feel like as one of the characters. And a lot of straight kids were kind of feeling it and understanding for the first time the situation that a lot of gay and lesbian kids were going through. So uh, because of that, um, I started meeting other gay cartoonists, right? And, and I started being invited to like participate in some magazines, like Details Magazine did a, like a political cartoon issue and paid huge money for two pages of art. I was like, oh my God. Paid up for me to pay my rent for like four months. It was really, really nice, and um, it was just like this thing that it, it, it was bubbling up. So people started noticing my work, and because of that, um, I guess I became kind of braver. And uh, I went to my first comic book company, uh, comic book convention. And I remember at Penn Station they used to have it every year. And how? Oh. Yeah, there was used to be right there in Penn Station at the Pennsylvania Hotel. 
And um, it, it, that was like the, it was like back then it was kind of like kind of smelly affairs. You know, it was very very nerdy, very low key. It wasn't like these big affairs they have now, but um, it was fun. And Howard Cruz, he's like the granddaddy of all uh, gay cartoonists. And uh, he used to do this thing called Wendell and the Advocate, and he's been he's been around forever. And he's been like one of these people pushing gay gay comics in the front, and um, very well. He just passed away a couple months ago, so we're all, we're all going to a rough time of that. But um, he was another mentor, and he 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 had a table in in the comics in the in the convention, and he asked me to share with him. He said, "Hey, why don't you come in? You know, you can sell your tales of the closet there. You could give them out." So I did. I, I went with them, and. That first time at the convention, I remember it was really crowded and so many people going through it. And there was everybody. Marvel was there, DC's there, all, all the big companies, right? And our table was Howard and me. And we had like this weird vacuum bubble around us. Like it was so crowded. But as soon as they got to our table, it was like an empty space because people would look at the comic book and then drop it as if it was burning, you know? Oh, wow. It was like really, they just didn't want to be uh, scared to be associated with that. But a few people came in. And um, especially people from Marvel and DC, a couple of editors came in. Like uh, I remember Tom Brevere came in from Marvel, but but Dwayne McDuffie, who was working with Marvel, he he was like the only only black you know editor in Marvel like ever you know, and yeah. uh, mm. he, he he went to a lot of it, and he saw the comic book. He came back and started talking with me, and it was weird because I never you know who's this huge tall guy? Is he cruising me or something? But uh. He was just this really nice, nice guy. He he liked the story, and he he wanted more of it. And and we we exchanged information. Actually, I gave my information to him. And then um, I came back the next year with Howard, and he came looking for me. It's like you know what? We're opening a new combo company. I want you to do the team book. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like something like, you know, I didn't even ever consider that because working for Marvel DC Comics, it's just like uh. I didn't know my, my level of professional enough for that. Mm-hmm. And my art, especially my drawing. My drawing is mm-hmm. kind of like a little crunchy. And it just didn't look like anything in, in superhero stuff. But um, mm-hmm. as a writer, it's like I, I, I was kind of scared. But I, especially since it was supposed to be a company that was doing uh, people of color. Um, and, you know, for a lot of black creators, people of color means black, right? African-American. And, right. and when they got right. in there... Well, that just kind of that's a culture right now. Is either black or white, and everybody else is kind of like invisible sometimes. So I have a yeah, yeah. Oh, I was gonna ask a question, especially since you know you being like a, a queer, especially since it, it's amazing that you was able to meet someone who was like the only like sort of black you know person of color, person of color, you know, editor or, or like you know, right, yeah, yeah. artist and stuff in Marvel and stuff. So like, how has being like especially a queer person of color? Um, impacted your like sort of career journey, especially in like well, being a cartoonist and so and a writer. I think I think it blocked a lot of it. Um, as much as you know, I got a lot of play um, with the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that I was a brown person in this new company, uh, Latino, and by the way, Latinos are even lesser, especially writers and, and any anybody in power. They're less represented by anybody else in, in the industry. So mm-hmm. um, the fact that I was there. Um, I became like a little poster boy for them too, in a way. They kind of pushed me up in front for interviews and stuff like that, um, which is weird because you know my 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 speaking was so bad. <laughs> I was like, I know I went to college and everything like that, but I had this really thick. Uh, I was really shy. Um, I would when I get nervous, I would stutter. It was just like really sloppy diction, kind of still like the way it is now, but it was much worse back then. So it was weird that they get okay pushing me in front, but. 
like the whole thing that since I, the connection with Tales of the Closet still gave me this weird kind of like angle. So I was very unique in the industry because I was like the first publicly gay cartoonist, but then again, I was the first like like Latino cartoonist to to write for the mainstream like like full time like that. Um, particularly when I went to Marvel and I started doing Ghostwriter, which they asked me to do again. They came in and asked me. Um, I was in Marvel. I was the first one to ever have like a full time book. They had some other writers there who used Perez for the first time to have a monthly title in ninety like ninety four, which is crazy late. And I didn't realize how messed up the industry was until I started working there. And mm-hmm. how? What do you mean? Like well, before you know, you read comic books and you you just you, you're a fanboy. And this is the thing about American culture, um, you don't know what you're missing because they give you so much of, of like comics, There's so many comic books, so many stories, so many heroes. But then to, to realize that there's no brown heroes or no black heroes or no Asian heroes, it's like such a, it's like a TV, a TV show. It's like the whole life of people of color. Right. So you, you just, because you're used to it as a baby and this is what you look at when you first see things mm-hmm. and you kind of absorb it and kind of accept it as normal. Um, everything's so normalized so when you're in there and all of a sudden you start in the industry you realize that there's a reason why all these characters are white it's because the people working there they only they only white. see white and they see white right but and they, then they also like they also um, sorry to cut you off but no, it's also like the people like if they do make a, co- a person of color it's like it's still written in a white lens it's not really written right, by right. Like, like black, black artists and stuff like that like, like black Black Panther was written by white people. Right, Black Panther was written by Jack Kirby. And, you know, even Jack Kirby, who was really progressive, and out of all the cartoonists back then, he was the one who really kind of knew his shit. He was the most woke of them, of them all. But he was. He was totally woke because he wanted them to see with a black character, and they kept blacking it out. They kept, mm-hmm. he, he would do the nose and the mouth, and that cowl, that kind of half half mask, mm-hmm. and black it out because they, they, they said that if we put him on the cover, no one will buy the book. It's like it's really insidious kind of acceptance of like these rules that they all kind of like bought into. And I would suggest to them and say, listen, why don't you bring in somebody to come and, you know, we can have all the artists and writers and the editors. We'll have people come in from Hector Martin or some places and just give them like an hour kind of like breakdown of of the issues going on. And they would never do that. They were like, they were like so vehemently against it. It's like, oh, how dare you think we, you know, we need we change. We don't need to change. So it's like. It was just like very aggressively stuck in this way, as white as everything, you know. I'm just curious, like, what was it like, just like in the workplace, like day to day? Like, did you feel like you were being judged? Was it uncomfortable? Well, Milestone was different because remember, a Milestone. You know, I don't know if anybody knows Milestone, but they did Static Shock. There was a cartoon that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 So they, they were a they were a company who's who's they were going to do people of color. As superheroes, because there was no representation. They had people from Marvel, DC, people who were in the industry, like deep in there, and they started their own company. And back in the in the early '90s, there was a lot of companies popping up. Like uh, Image was like one of these things, and there's all these like new companies coming up, and they were doing really well. So they got the investment from DC. Um, they got the distribution deal from DC Comics, and even though they were their own company, they still had to kind of kowtow to a lot of DC's demands um, because they were mm. kind of like, being printed together, that kind of thing. But um, I remember going into that workplace and being surrounded by people of color. And it was just this, I, this is the thing, you get spoiled in such a beautiful way because since I didn't work in Marvel and DC Comics before, since I only did my own thing and then working with this company, 
it was like this beautiful thing. You would, like read the the fan. I, I got so much fan mail. It was like one thing. They had the book of fan. You go to San Diego Con, it'd be thousands of people kind of like at, in, in the audience kind of saying hello. Um, it was just this beautiful thing. And there was this, and although it only lasted a couple of years, um, there was this feeling of com- camaraderie and like we had a mission, you know? And they used to joke to me. They used to say, hey, you're Jackie Robinson twice. And I'm like, what am I mean? Oh, because I'm Puerto Rican and because I'm gay, right? So I can get like that double. And I remember that when I went to San Diego Con, you know that huge combo convention in San Diego. Yeah. It was yeah. huge. Yeah. It's, like, it's like a city that's like a comic book. You know, it's like oh, wow. it was great and it was wonderful. And we, they gave me a hotel room, and it was, all the, it was like holy cow, mm-hmm. first hotel room ever. And then um, that I didn't know that that's that weekend on Sunday on the Sunday Times, one of the there was a, a writer who who did a story about me for for uh, Tales of the Closet. But they interviewed me in Milestone because they wanted to know what was going on with Milestone too. So they put me on the New York Times uh, Arts and Leisure. I had the full front page, right? And it was my yeah. face and my story about me. And then they had this little blurb about DC Comics. They were doing like another crisis kind of ripoff or zero hour or something. Like this little blurb in the bottom. And people were like hating on me so badly. Like the big people from Marvel and DC Comics. Oh, how come you got all this threat? It was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is just the way it was. So wow. it, was a, it was a good time back then, but when I went to work for Marvel, that was kind of horrible. Then. That was that was wow. experience I ever had in in a business place because they kind of treated you badly from the get go, and it was like this kind of like really low key kind of like you know dismissal of who you are and what you are. And um, I remember that the editor who hired me, uh, the Professor Felder, they used to call him. He was a good guy. He he had these new ideas. He thought I could bring some new blood to blood to uh, Ghost Rider, but he left. And, he, and they usually the case when they leave that someone else comes in. And this person knew who I was and this and that. But his assistant editor was such a little creep and so like saying these terrible things to you, just kind of out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. It, was just, it was still my name wrong in, in the advertisements. Um, they wouldn't invite me to those big. You know how the Marvel would have these big crossover with all the events with X Men and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. put my book in there it would be the only book left out it was like all this kind of weird city of shit and some of the editors you walk by and three I'm telling you three feet away they think about you like who's this guy who's that blah, 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 blah. he's nobody blah, blah. oh boy goofy goofy ass yeah it's, it's like <laughs> it was like a really oppressive kind of horrible thing and this is because, you know after you know after I left Milestone I was kind of like it was like a really bad breakup and it was just like, it just was so much bad blood. It was just really messy. And when I went to Marvel, you know, I was depressed about this whole situation. It was kind of like this mourning period. And then Marvel did not make it better at all. And in fact, I was taking all these like uh, antidepressants. Mm-hmm. And it was, just, I was just a mess back then. So, so it kind of reflected in my writing, but I still lasted another two years. But after that, I could not get work. After the comic book industry kind of imploded, and all these. New companies kind of folded, including Milestone, and um, you know, Marvel started, you know, cut off like two thirds of their titles. Um, I just couldn't get work anymore. Nobody wanted to work. Uh, I just wanted mm. to ask, because uh, yeah. this week we are uh, talking uh, about you and also about like queer coded characters and stuff. So I was wondering, like, do you have any opinions on uh, Marvel's recent attempts to uh, create? 
Uh, some queer characters, specifically Snowflake and Safe Space. Oh, oh God. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you have you heard about those? Funny. Is it is it a white guy running it? Uh, I, I think I'm I did the sure. research, but I think the answer to that was yes. Is it a, is it a white cisgender with a hurtful man? It is a. It is at the minimum yes. uh, a, a straight person. I know that for sure. So this is the thing about um, the power of of mediocre white men. Right? <laughs> You're right, though. You're so right. Local white men could think they could do it. So, like, um, even Black Lightning, when Black Lightning came out, he was the first, like, real black character. The second, actually, when you, when you talk about Jon Stewart, that was different. The Green, Green Lantern. Yeah. But Black, he was the first one to have his own title. So, Black Lightning came in. He was remember this guy, Tony Isabella, who's this Italian guy. Going, oh, I have a lot of black friends. You know, he was like, ooh, that, ooh. Thing. That, that, that thing, right? So, he modeled his character, like, like Black Lightning during the day had his fake afro, right, with a mask, and he talked ebonics all the time. So he's, he modeled and had that bare chest, and it's totally modeled on those like uh, black exploitation movies. Because a lot of white folks, their only, their only um, experience with with black culture is through those movies, right? Like coffee and stuff. Uh, same thing happened with Power Man with Luke Cage. So you get these white writers, and they think they don't want to do some great stuff. In the daytime, he was a straight-laced principal, a teacher in the school. Um, his hair was short. He had a suit. He would talk like, like you know, a conservative, you know, black man. So that's kind of like the whole kind of thing. The only image that they kind of played with back then. Um, I think the only one that I think Black Panther was actually the only one that was kind of like on point because he was he was uh, the king of his own country. Um, they had nothing to do with all the they they hid themselves away, so they had nothing to do with all this like mess between um you know american and whites and blacks and it was just like this thing he was on his own king his own power his own people his own technology it was it was him right so that that was that was great but this other characters was just kind of like not that great so the thing is is that they end up being the first ones right and which is kind of sad because there should be more people of color in there. And that was the whole thing with Marvel. They just did not hire people of color. And they, they under their umbrella said, we only hired the best talent, you know, which is that, uh, kind of like a sideways saying, so, you know, people of color are just not that good, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think uh, this, these two new characters, they kind of look like um, sarcasm when you look at it, you know? They look like uh, they're actually a parody of kind of like what's... what's yeah. uh, Woke yeah. Yes. And that's kind of annoying. Um, I think a par- something like that, if it was written by people of color who was like, you know, um, differently gendered or just different experience, that's that's that would work. Even if it was a parody, well, they're going to talk about the scene from from a point of view that's like valid. But you know, it's always from the outside. There's always these people who think they they know everything just because they they're the default status of America. You know. And not only right. that, it's very offensive as well. Absolutely. It makes us look like yeah. a joke. I, like, as a non-binary First person, I have a lot of feelings. Of course, of course. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's just, it's really fucked up because they're, like, talking about how, like, oh, they're, that, that's their name is because, like, you know, they're reclaiming it from the oppressors. But if you're the oppressor, you don't get to reclaim that for me. You don't get to do that, you know? But, and Snowflake, <laughs> Snowflake is, is... Not reclaiming a name. Snowflake is what they call like a. That's an insult. Yeah, a snowflake. <laughs> yeah. It's a white person who can't handle being caught on racism. Oh. They're, they're, that's <laughs> a snowflake, you know? 
It's like those women, those Karens crying. Oh, you know, they say that. <laughs> and that's something that used to, a lot of white feminists is that against against white women, white feminist women who who you know who are caught in a situation, you know, and they start mm-hmm. crying. They usually start crying. They call snowflakes. So white to take tears. that turn of used against white women and taking it as a person of color, that just doesn't make sense. And that that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's it's it's just kind of wrong. What's the name of the other guy? The other person? I mean, safe space. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's embarrassing. No it's embarrassing. The designs aren't even that good. I know they look. They 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 just look like um, like nineties kind of like uh, disco kids, you know. They look like Reject Teen Titans. Yeah. They look like they do. They look like, no, they're Power Rangers without the masks. It's not good. Right. Yeah, it's not. I'm. I'm just upset that this is going to be a lot of people's like first experience with the concept of non-binary people and this is what they're gonna have to see you know mm-hmm. like that's horrible right because you know that there's some there's a lot of education needed on that you know but you're right people are taking it and they're, they're making it their own thing and look at it if people see those two characters and think that's the default for that for non-binary people that's kind of that's a lot of trouble coming yeah you know? yeah it's scary honestly it's scary <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so, um, how hard? I, I have a question on on pretty much like, cause, like, what advice would you have for like young people who want to make comics or write for comics, but like their ideas of I guess they're like their ideas of comics is like oh I need to get into Marvel I need to get into these big companies. I know, but, so like, no. what advice would you have for someone who wants to make uh I guess like more of a mainstream comic, but like. You know, they want to have a comic that hits people and like right. you know, involves everything. Wait, can I well, include something in that question though? Sure. Yeah, especially for someone who is queer or like a person of color and stuff like that, because I know it's like very hard, especially since we have now Snowflake and Safe Space and stuff, and you know, they really want to like you know have a good portrayal portrayal of like queer people and stuff like that. What advice right. would you give them since he was able to do something like that? Well. um... Yeah, the mainstream is different now anyway, right? Uh, what you see as the mainstream right now, right? Marvel and DC Comics, they're kind of they're kind of like a relics of a system that doesn't work for anybody. Um, anybody who's worked for them has been exploited horribly. Like, even Stan Lee didn't own any of the characters. So right now, they, they don't even have to make money, uh, the comic book companies. Basically, they're, they're mills for the licensing. And since so this is Disney, basically Disney wants more and more characters to come in so they can make money off of it. So when you when you see a kid trying to get break in, and, there, and there's so many artists that I work with that still kind of slavishly, you know, working for Marvel DC Comics. They're still like looking at those characters as as the best things that ever came out. They still look at that mythology as you know true American mythology. It's like, well, you know, wow, that's a good way of putting it. I want them to kind of wake up, but. Since the kids now don't have to go to that. I mean, yeah, Marvel DC Comics is fun. The movies are great, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the cartoons, there's a whole network now. They, 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 could, they could look at Disney Plus and see them all, stuff like that. But the stuff that's really happening, I think, is the indie stuff. Um, so Agreed. kids today have a lot of ability to do their own comics, particularly online. If they would go through the web, webtoons, of course. Um, there's oh, a lot okay, of yeah. stories. Yeah, webtoons are, are very... There's a lot of success stories that are connected to webtoons, and this is something where you can do and put out there and see if it sticks. Um, there are a lot of people putting out their own comics, not pr- 
Now, believe it or not, publishing and printing your own comics is a lot cheaper now than it used to be back in the day. And you can put out like, you know, maybe 100, 400 copies and sell them or have digital files too. That's another thing. But you got to work on your craft. And this is, a, and, and, you know, I'm very happy that everybody is exposed to so many beautiful, amazing comic books and manga, particularly. Um, and people are really heavily influenced by manga and they're doing a lot of big eyes and stuff like that. But you got to develop your own style. Uh, and this is what I tell to all, all kids, no matter if, if uh, no matter what gender, no matter what orientation, develop your own store to the point that it's it's tight. That you, this is your name. This is when you see this drawing or this writing, they know it's your stuff. And that's the only way to kind of like um, get success right now. Um, come up with characters that are not copies of anyone else. Yeah, they're influenced by all these different people, but make them like Hellboy. You know, Hellboy is basically um, you know who Hellboy is, right? The, the guy with the yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hellboy is basically, yeah, but he's basically hot stuff. He's it's a joke. He's hot stuff. The the good little devil from Harvey Comics. You know, you know, you had, Peter, you had Wendy and you had Spooky and you had hot stuff, right? And mm-hmm. he's in the cave and he, he's he's the guy with the diaper and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. That's basically him, and that's like um that's a joke. So you can take something like kind of be influenced by something else, take it to another level, which is great, or you can come up with something. That's your own. Uh, people today are lucky because they can really connect to all these different cultures, not just American culture or European culture. They can go to who their 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 own bloodlines and, and see what kind of works there. They can tell different stories now. They don't have to tell that like um, the American history that we're all taught. They can actually go into real history in different places and different situations. Um, mm-hmm. They can make Afro futurism. They can go with uh, that is the new wave. Yeah, or tribal futurism, right? But I love, I love because you can go with, with indigenous characters in the future too. Which is, I love Totally left out. So there's Latino futurism. There's all this stuff. There's, there's, there's Asian futurism. There's all these beautiful kind of options they can play with. You know, <laughs> go with drama, go with this and that. But if it's your own voice, you got to develop your voice. You got to make it tight. You have to make those online classes. You have to kind of like. Um, Get readers who you trust, who can tell you the truth and, and, and what works and what doesn't work, and kind of develop yourself like everybody else has to do. You know. Do you suggest like somebody getting um, a writer take t- team up with a writer, or do you just suggest that the person learns how to do it themselves, like well, writing I, and and um, creating? Well, you know, a cartoonist is a person who can do both. Right? You can do writing, okay. Right, that's a cartoonist. If you want to be a comic book artist, and there's a lot of people who are illustrators and comic book artists, and they kind of need a writer. Um, but even then, even when they work with a writer, they kind of learn the skills through the writer, and then they start doing their own stuff. Um, I think if, if you really are kind of isolated and don't have a lot of connections with a lot of people who are doing the same thing you're doing, being a cartoonist is the easiest way. But if you're a really good writer and we want to kind of like have someone draw your stuff, then they're you guys have networks now. You can go online and kind of meet people. Um, we have all these events, you know. Uh, I teach classes. I have to do. I have to do them online now. But um, mm-hmm. this summer is going to be a bunch of uh, online classes where the, the young, you know, young adult cartoonists and artists talk to each other and maybe kind of share notes and kind of see what they're working at and, and you know, develop new skills and, and put prompts for themselves. So that's kind of a way of developing that too. Um, you guys are lucky. You have all this network to go to. All you have to do is find a way to connect to the right ones. You know, connect right. to the people you can, you right. can learn. Right. 
Thank you so much um, for your words and like just sharing your wisdom with us. Um, I want to ask, do you have any like upcoming like stuff you're working on that you want to promote? Um, my website is uh, planetbronx.com. Um, I kind of, I try to post some stuff on there. I have a, some comic culture classes for the summer um, that I'll post uh, publicly and I'll send in links to you too. Um, comic culture is part of my, uh, where I get grants to kind of teach these like cartooning classes. Because again, no one me how to be a cartoonist. I learn on my own. So I want to share skills with particularly kids of color just to kind of prompt them to go to the forward. Uh, I'm working on um, a script right now called Huracan. And I'm working on, um, that's when you're cartoons, you can go writing, you can go drawing, or both, right? Right. You know, this series called uh, the, the, the Battle of Wankabam that I've been working on for like five years already. Um, so that's coming up. And you can see some of those images on my Instagram. Oh, my Instagram too is at Popo Brand. And, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's, that's it. I'm hoping I can get some work done. I get so distracted. But now that we're in this quarantine situation, um, have all the time you need really right, right. so let's see if you could publish more now that we're like at home more often yes i'm looking forward to like seeing some of your stuff thanks you, you can see some stuff now go to planetbrass.com there's some some of my comics on there too of course yeah, you know <laughs> <laughs> gotta promote no, well, I, do, I want you guys to see that, that i'm not awful of shit <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll link you um, okay Okay. But uh, now I have to be the unfortunate person to say, uh, okay, we got to close you. this up. I know. I'm so sorry for coming in so late, but thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure. Okay. Thank you. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, this Great. has yeah yeah uh, this has been the 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 last episode of our season for uh, for for the show yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. it's like a big historical moment here. It's it's the last season of it's the last episode of, the, of this first season. Those are the words I'm trying to say about a spite. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much and have fun. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you. Of course. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, for everyone else, um, make sure to follow us on Twitter uh, at uh, like slash outspite. Uh, Instagram is out of spite official. Um, we are on YouTube as an archive. Uh, it's just on Queer TV. Um, we're also on Spotify as a podcast, um, and if you don't have Spotify for that, I'm sorry, but uh, iTunes is a lot of work. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, stay tuned to our social media to hear about our next season, which may or may not be premiering after dark. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So long. Farewell.